Welcome to Money in the Morning with Dr. Boyce Watkins on the Black Financial Channel. Today on the Black Financial Channel, we're going to talk about some interesting stuff. Uh, I just read an article that basically says that according to a new study, 95% of all NFTs are worthless. Literally 95% of NFTs are worth uh, the leftovers that you put in your toilet when you get up in the morning. Uh, I want to break that down for you and let you guys know what's going on and give you an assessment on what can happen in different financial markets and how investing really works. So get comfortable, buckle up your seatbelt. We're going to get started on the Black Financial Channel right now. Welcome to the Black Financial Channel. This is theblackfinancialchannel.com. My name is Dr. Boyce Watkins, and I'm your friendly neighborhood finance professor. On the Black Financial Channel, we talk about black wealth and black economics every single day, sometimes as much as 10 times a day under the B1 condition. B1 means we are black first, and we are not apologizing for that. That does not mean we hate anybody. It just means that we put ourselves, our family, and our community at the top of our priority list. Black first means that we prepare for the future. Black first means that we educate our kids. Black first means we make sure our children are financially prepared for the future. If you get, agree with this philosophy, put a B1 in the chat. Everybody put your B1s in here. Let me know what city you're from. Uh, Joe Skrill says, boys don't skip a day. I sure don't, man. I have not skipped a day probably for 15 years, but even 15 years before that, I didn't skip a day. I ain't skipped a day since the 90s. I've been on it uh, consistently. And if you go back and you look at the work I was doing back in the 1990s, it was very consistent with what I do right now. The only difference is that I'm a lot smarter than I was back then. But even then I was teaching college students. So I, you know, I know a couple things and, uh, and I, I'm happy to connect with the community. Uh, what's going on, Jerome Ray and Joe Skrill at Errol, pa Errol from Pompano Beach, Chris J. Jerome Ray, good to see you. Hit the thumbs up button. Thumbs up, share, subscribe. Let's do a quick audio check. Can you guys hear me? Give me a yes if you can hear me okay. Let me know if I'm coming through all right. Hey, Armando from Owensboro, Kentucky. Kentucky's my home state. Uh, good morning, Sharice Wealthy. Um, Sharice is on my uh, Instagram page, uh, my Instagram. If you were looking for me on the gram, uh, as you guys know, we got deplatformed on our big page. So, you know, you just got to move on and keep building. Uh, but anyway, if you guys want to uh, follow me on Instagram, you can follow my backup page at Dr. Boy finance. So uh, give me one second. My wife is knocking on the door. She doesn't understand when I start my podcast that I'm talking and I'm doing stuff. So if y'all can do me a favor, hit the thumbs up button while I see what she needs. Yes, baby. What do you need? I am live right now. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. All right. See, see, y'all see the stuff I got to deal with every day. Don't nobody be respected what a black man trying to do with his business, man. I'm trying to, trying to talk to the people. They just come and they bang on my door. Bang, 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 bang. And I, and I keep talking. I talk loud. And I say, hey, everybody, we're live. So I, And I do it so they'll hear me and know that I'm live, but they don't be listening. See, that's what I'm talking about. What, what is going on? It's crazy. Anyway, I'm going to stop. All right. Anyway, so uh, good morning, everybody. It is so good to see you. And uh, and so let me tell you what was on my mind today, what I saw. <laughs> it was crazy. And I have a lot of insights into this that I think will help you as an investor. Um, basically, according to Business Insider, there was a study done on the NFT market. Uh, how many of y'all, did any of y'all ever buy NFTs? Or give me a guess if you even thought about buying NFTs. Give me a guess if you ever thought about possibly dipping into the NFT market. Well, the NFT market, unfortunately, has turned into absolute doo-doo. Uh, it's fallen apart completely. Um, according to a new study, 95% of all NFTs are worthless. Uh, they said that uh, according to the study, they looked at 73,000 NFT collections that had a market cap of literally zero. 
zero ETH. Out of the top collections, the most common price for an NFT is now five to ten dollars. Uh, they said most NFTs may now be worthless less than two years after a bull run on digital collectibles. Uh, now, if y'all remember, <clears throat> there was a time where people were buying NFTs for tens of thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars, millions of dollars. Anybody remember that? Anybody remember when uh, NFTs were just kind of going crazy and ballistic and and everybody was paying all kinds of insane money for NFTs? Uh, well, in, the NFT market has disappeared. Now, I'm going to give you some perspective on this that really... I, that I don't think you're going to really hear anywhere else. I don't think anybody else is really going to do this because you guys know that's, I mean, I taught finance at the college level for long. So you just see stuff, you figure, you understand things, right? And uh, and so I'm going to lay it out in a way that's going to probably, uh, that's either going to inspire and enlighten you or it's going to piss you off if you uh, are a person that for whatever reason has decided that you hate uh, hate knowledge or you hate uh, alternative ideas, right? Because I run into this. I run into this because actually uh, this reminded me of some of the businesses that we've seen in the black community that maybe have struggled, things like that, right? And, uh, and so here's where I want to go. I'm going to start right here. I'm going to start with the sweet spot here so we can, in case you have something else to do today and you want to just go, it's totally okay. Um, a lot of finance and a lot of investing is a lot like a financial church. It's like church. It's like church. If I go, let's say I go to church <clears throat> with a, a, a person who's Jewish, they're going to tell me what uh, what the Jewish community believes about the afterlife. You know, whatever they, you know, the Torah, is that what the book is called? I don't go to church. I ain't going to lie. All right. So they're going to tell me what the Torah says about the afterlife. And they're going to believe it to the core of their soul, right? Some are willing to die for these ideas. That's where all the crusades came from. If I go to a Christian church, they're going to tell me something different. They're going to say, no, 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 no. The, you know, the, 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 what, the Jews are wrong, blah, 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 blah. Here's what's really going on. Here's what's really going to happen in the afterlife. If I go to a Muslim church, they're going to have a, a set of philosophies that they believe in as well. You know, they, they are right or die about what they believe, you know, which I respect immensely. But then there's the fundamental question of, like, who's actually correct? Who, who's, who's really got access to the universal truth. And how can you have so many people that all believe that they have a monopoly on reality, right? And that everybody else is crazy. Well, finance is a lot like this, okay? Um, so when I tell you that 95% of all NFTs are worthless, that doesn't always necessarily mean that 95% of all NFTs are worthless. It doesn't. It it, it, it it could mean that. It could mean that, you know, and, and seriously, how many of you, give me a yes, let's check, let's do a religion, a financial religion check right quick. How many of y'all believe that NFTs were garbage from the jump? Give me a yes if you always thought it that it was stupid, like why in the hell would somebody pay $100,000 for, you know, a piece of digital art, you know, artwork? Like what, what in the hell? What's wrong with these people? How many of y'all believe that this is always stupid and it was a waste of time and it was dumb and you'd never pay... You know, you wouldn't pay McDonald's money for an NFT. How many of y'all always felt that way? Give me a yes if you're in the category. It's okay. I want you to be honest. Come on, let's be honest. Answer me in the chat. Okay. And by the way, this podcast is on Spotify and Apple. So if you have Spotify and Apple on your phone, just look up Boyce Watkins and you'll find the podcast there. All right. Okay. Now, now, how many of y'all? Let's 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 do another religion check. How many of y'all believe that maybe this is an opportunity to buy some NFTs super cheap and and believe that once uh, the economy and the, the investing, the markets recover and investor confidence rises again, that NFTs can actually make a comeback. That some of those NFTs 
that went from a hundred thousand dollars down to five are could be good bargains that maybe that five dollar NFT could go up with you know to a thousand dollars one day. Maybe not a hundred thousand yet. It doesn't have to go to a hundred thousand for you to make a grip. It doesn't have to go back to a hundred K. You understand? It doesn't have to do that, right? It could go from five dollars to ten dollars. Congratulations, you made a 100 percent ROI. Do you understand what I'm saying? Anybody? Anybody good? Okay. All right. So let me tell you what I believe. You know what I believe? And this is a, is a fundamental of investing. I think I hope you'll consider, and, and, and you should remember this, is that I believe both is both are true. I believe both can be true. It, it could be possible because here's the problem. Here's the thing. The reason the NFT market got out of control in the first place is because of something that we study extensively in finance research called irrational exuberance. Alan Greenspan, the former chairman of the Fed, wrote a whole book about it. Uh, but there have been plenty of thousands of research papers written about the fact that the stock market and in the investing world and the investing community can become what, what I refer to as being economically drunk. I, I don't know if you I don't know if that term is used by anybody else, but I actually in my book, uh, The Ten Commandments of Black Economic Power, I talk about what it means to be economically drunk. And economically drunk is where uh, people get really pumped up and really confident when they start making money. Has anybody ever seen this? Give me a yes if you've seen this. They get super excited and they think that they know investing and you have these overnight experts. You can't, you cannot imagine how many people I saw who literally bought two or three stocks, made a couple dollars during the pandemic, and then suddenly started going online saying, I can teach you how to invest in the stock market because I understand the stock market. And I'm sitting there thinking, wow, that's amazing because I spent 30 years studying the stock market and you learned it in, in 30 minutes. Good for you. Wow, you must be smart. You must be a genius. No, they weren't geniuses. They were infected by uh, something. Uh, my, one of my dissertation committee members wrote about this. His name was David Hirschleifer. He wrote about uh, over investor overconfidence. Investor overconfidence ha has existed for as long as any financial market has ever existed. You're talking about, you can go back a million years, maybe a hundred thousand years and find examples where investors got super excited about investing. And suddenly uh, you have things like the price of tulips going up to uh, an insane number because suddenly for whatever reason, everybody wanted to own tulips and thought they were spending $10,000 in today's dollars for a tulip made sense, but it never made any sense. But it can make all the sense in the world. It depends on what environment you sell those tulips into, right? It depends on what's happening with the economic weather. That's the point. That's the point, okay? And so effectively, what's happening right now, when I tell you that 95% of NFTs have a value of zero, that means they have a value of zero right now. That does not mean that they're always going to have a value of zero five years from now or next year or eight years from now. You don't know. For all we know, you know, there's probably somebody in the year 2029 who's watching this video who could be looking at me saying, man, they don't even know, dog. They don't even know, man. The, the, those tulips, <laughs> those, 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 not tulips, I'm sorry. Those NFTs, those NFTs that they were only paying $5 for, man, those things are worth 5,000 bucks now. I can't believe that they didn't see that this market was going to make a comeback, right? But then there might be people in the year 2029 who are watching this video right now and saying, yeah, he's right. Yeah, the tulip market's dead, I, or the, the NFT market. I keep calling them tulips because they remind me of the tulip boom. That was one of the first big financial booms, right? So there's a so they're looking at us and they're saying, yeah, of course, the NFT market's dead. What kind of sucker would buy an NFT? You don't know. You don't know. You don't know. And anybody who swears that they know, they don't, they really don't know, right? Because I, I know enough to know what I know and what I don't know. I know enough to know how little we know, right? But there are people who know so little that they think they know everything, right? And these are all the people online who uh, who will talk extensively about investing as if they understand what's going on, understand markets and all that. 
They just they don't they don't know nothing because they're not humble. Seriously. So so with investing, you got to be humble. That's the point. That's that's one of the points. I mean, it's a couple points. The one of the big points is you got to be humble. You never get to the point where you, where every pick you make is going to be right. Uh, also, um, you got to remember the difference between the here and now and the future. It's just like talking about people and human beings, you know, or, or the relationships. Just because your boyfriend dumped you last week doesn't mean you're destined to be lonely for the rest of your life. The sooner you get to moving on, the sooner you'll be in another state of the world. The sooner you'll be in another situation that might be better for you. The best thing in the world might be around the corner for you, right? So with NFTs, um, I don't know if my point is, I don't know if the entire book has been written on NFTs. I don't know if this market is gone forever. Nobody knows. Uh, and uh, and I, I tell you, I had a I had a lot of fun debates with with folks about things like even the Tulsa Real Estate Fund. Because there are so many people who know nothing about investing, by the way. Many of them have never really built a fund or run, run done anything, run a business even. Uh, but they were I- expressing completely like the, the, the Tulsa fund is dead. It's going to die. It's never going to live. It can't make it. It's gonna... Well, if you go over to the people at the, the Tulsa fund, again, I, I looked into it a little bit because I was an investor. I, I never got paid to promote the fund, unlike what stupid rumors people were passing around. But but I did go and I said, huh, so what do y'all think? What, what's really going on? here and they said no we're 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 an ongoing entity we still exist we have projects in the pipeline we have things that are happening that are going to be extraordinary uh a little extra funding we can really make this thing pop off so so my point is not to say that one side is right or one side is wrong i'm saying that you don't know for sure because this go this happens with every business this happened with amazon when amazon was losing billions of dollars a year um, people said Amazon is stupid. You got to get rid of this company. It's 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 garbage. It's gonna it's gonna die. It's gonna waste a bunch of money, and it's gonna be a terrible investment. You need to go. Just let this dream go, Jeff. And Jeff Bezos had a different feeling. He said, "No, no, no. This is my baby. I'm gonna keep on investing in my baby, and we're gonna keep on. We're gonna ride this thing out." I just heard a video. My wife gave me a video today uh, of the uh, founder of Starbucks. Uh, I forgot his name. I, I don't have his name in front of me. But anyway, the CEO of Starbucks was talking about how when he he created Starbucks, he wasn't the CEO, he's the founder. And he said that um, that the business was struggling and he talked to his wife about it. And he said uh, he, he also talked to his father-in-law. His father-in-law sat him down and said, give me a yes if this if you can imagine this happening in your own family. His father-in-law sat him down and said, look, I know you want to do this stupid little business thing, this coffee thing. But um, my wife, oh, it's my, my daughter, it, who's your wife, is seven months pregnant and you don't have a job. You don't have a steady income. I'm going to need you to go get a job. Give me a yes if you've heard this kind of conversation in your own family. And uh, and so he went to his wife and he said, um, Howard Schultz, that's his name. He went to his wife and he said, you know, he told him about the conversation, the awkward conversation he had with his father-in-law. And, uh, and he wanted to see what his wife thought. And his wife said, this is your dream. Keep investing in your dream. We're going to be okay. And he literally said, I kid you not. And I want y'all to write this down. I want you to remember this when you have people that are doubting what you're trying to do. Um, He said that if his wife had said, no, 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 my father's right. You need to get a job. He said, Starbucks would not exist. Do y'all hear what I'm saying? Are y'all listening? Give me a yes if you're following this. Like that, this is this is this is the juice that you need to be successful. This is the this is the this is the it thing. This is the thing that will carry you through the darkest moments. I promise you, right? Remembering little things like this. He said, if his wife had not believed 
in what he was doing, if she had not had faith, if she had not had the right economic religion that looks at the upside instead of focusing on the downside, Starbucks wouldn't exist. Now, does that mean his wife was right? No, it doesn't mean she was right. It means that she took a shot like basketball and the shot happened to go in. They took a shot, it went in. But even if you watch the best players in the NBA, sometimes they miss shots. Sometimes they shoot absolute air balls, right? But the difference between the people that the, the Steph Curry's and the people that never made it is that Steph, if he misses, Steph will keep on shooting because Steph knows that if I keep shooting, eventually something's going to go in. Give me a yes if you follow what I'm saying. I need to I need to know that you, you're getting a bigger message from this other than, oh, the NFT market is dead. I knew it was dead. I knew it was gone. No, you didn't. You didn't know nothing. You think you 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 can you you walk around. This is uh in finance is another term they call ex ante versus ex post. Ex ante is before the fact, right? Where you what you what you know before the fact, and and then ex post is what you know after the fact. Well, ex post is kind of like what they call. Anybody heard the term armchair quarterbacks? It, what's an armchair quarterback? Give me a guess if you've heard that term armchair quarterbacks. Armchair quarterbacks. In many cases, are the people who don't do nothing. Most armchair quarterbacks are not actually quarterbacks. <laughs> Most armchair quarterbacks are not actually on the field playing. They're not actually win, trying to win games. They're not taking hits. Armchair quarterbacks are those 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 SOBs that sit back in their low chair and 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 second guess with twenty twenty hindsight what you should have did. Well, if I was the coach, I would have I would have ran the ball. I would have or I would have ran a, a a triple threat defense. I wouldn't have, you know, you don't do that on the 20-yard line. That's why they lost the game. That's what armchair quarterbacks do. And in investing, you have a lot of armchair quarterbacks. You have people that will sit there and watch you jump in the fire and watch you fight. And they will sit back and then when it doesn't work, that this armchair quarterback who's living in his mama's basement, sitting in his drawers playing Xbox all day, will say, see, that's why I told you. I told you Ben wasn't going to make it. I told you we wasn't going to be successful, right? They, I call them the Negro naysayers who find a problem for every solution. They will literally criticize the hell out of you and make you feel bad for taking a chance. Because you what, what, what you failed? Oh, well, guess, guess what? Every billionaire on the planet can tell you a, a, a big, long list of stories about how they failed. They can't. They wouldn't be billionaires if they weren't failing consistently. Denzel Washington said that one. He said, "If, if you if you are not failing, then you're not trying." He said. He literally said, "Like he said, if you're not failing consistently, you're not trying." So what I'm saying to you right now is, I need you to go out here and learn how to fail, and I need you also. This is why we created the Black Financial Therapy Department in the Black Business School. It's the first ever Black Financial Therapy Department. There has never been any group of scholars getting together specifically focused on understanding the psychological barriers that stop us from building black wealth. So one of our findings, one of the things that we find is that you ain't got no damn confidence because you don't know how to process failure properly to allow you to get to your first success. You don't know how to literally run into the first failure, punch it out, go to the second failure, punch it out, go through the third failure, punch it out, and then get to the first win. You can't get there because you see the first failure and you start feeling bad. And then the people around you make you feel worse. You fail. You suck. You're stupid. You're a scammer. You're dirty. You're dumb. You're no good. You shouldn't have tried it. You don't know what you're doing. You Right? They throw all these. It's like doubt, 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 doubt. How in the hell are you going to run fast? When you're trying to run with 800 pounds worth of doubt on your back, you can't run when you've got all this doubt that you're carrying around from all these people that don't know what the hell they're doing and they never try to do nothing. Seriously, if I'm going to get advice from anybody, I want advice from people that have gone through the fire. I don't want advice from people who are scared to get burned. 
I want to talk to the person who got the burn scars all over their body, but but say, look, but I'm sitting on the throne of gold because I went through the fire. I went through hell. I didn't, I didn't beg for a seat at the table. I built the table. I own the table. I am the table because I went through the fire to get to the table. Those are the people I want to talk to. Those are the people that I listen to. I do not listen to the Negro naysayers, sideline sitter, armchair quarterback, sit, people sitting back analyzing everything you did like somehow they knew it all along that it was going to fail. No, you did not. You did not know. You didn't know. Nobody knows. If anybody knows anything, it might be me because I was the only black man on the planet to get a PhD in finance in the year 2002. Nobody else did that. I go look it up and it was a real PhD. It wasn't no one of these little weekend summertime online programs. No, I went through the fire to get to my doctorate. And most of every other black person I knew that started with me did not succeed. My wife is the same way. She had five people in her PhD program that were black. Four of them did not graduate. She did it. She defended her dissertation proposal while she was seven months pregnant, sweating and hot, answering the hardest questions for the most critical people you can ever imagine. And she made it through the fire. So I respect that woman because of the fact that she did that. So what I'm saying to you is at the end of the day, you have to really learn who to listen to and who not to listen to. Right. I know we start talking about NFTs and yeah, you guys know me. I start with the topic and it's an interesting topic, but it's not simple, man. It's not like. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We all knew NFTs were garbage from the beginning or we all the NFT market ain't never coming back. No, you didn't know it was garbage from the beginning and you don't know if it's going to come back. Right. So so if you want to know how I would play this from a financial standpoint, I'm not telling you what to do. This is not investing advice. But the way I might play the NFT market, in fact, I think I might do this. I might go look for some of those NFTs that were worth one hundred thousand dollars two years ago and that are now costing five bucks and be like, what the hell? Let me buy a few of these five dollar NFTs just in case, just in case the market pops off, just in case it makes a comeback. Now, we don't know. You got things like digital AI, digital art now. Now AI can make NFTs and they can make thousands of them in a matter of minutes, right? So that's changed. That changes the game. You didn't have all that when the NFT market first came out, right? But maybe that irrational exuberance will pop back in. Remember I told you, when the market gets um, big, when good things start happening, people start going crazy. And they start overbidding for things. And I and the NFT market was interesting to me because I always felt like it was an, an avenue for money laundering. I also felt that it was, uh, I felt like a lot of money laundering was happening. Like when people start overpaying for stuff like that, that's drug, sometimes that's drug money. It's like, like if, if I want to, um, I don't know, like you sell me a couple kilos or something, a little something, something, right? Instead of me paying you for the kilos, I write you a check for your stupid, ugly painting for like $2 million, right? And suddenly people think your painting is worth $2 million because someone actually paid that much for the painting. Like, I, I wonder if that's kind of what's happening, right? <laughs> right? And, I, and, the, and the music industry was deep in there and they were kind of playing with people's minds and emotions and all that. So I'm not a big fan. I was never a fan of the idea of, of paying those exorbitant prices uh, for that art because it was very risky and also it, it was it was a little bit of a ponzi scenario in the sense that they were that you were basically waiting for a bigger sucker you're like okay i'm gonna overpay a hundred thousand dollars for this literally this digital picture there's nothing extraordinary about this but i'm gonna overpay for it in hopes that someone else will overpay more than i did right that's kind of what they call that the bigger fool theory right that's what people were looking for with nfts um but you know sometimes people invest based on that and it sometimes that actually does make them money uh you better get out soon you if you're greedy then you're gonna get killed but you know if you know how to get out then maybe that can actually work and don't think that this is the first or last time 
you're going to have an era where there are a bunch of fools running around the market. I, I talk to you guys about investing because I don't want you to be the fool. I want you to be the smart one in the room to see what's happening, right? When everybody else is getting financially drunk and everyone else is running around on this crazy economic high, I want you to be the sober person in the room who says, oh, everybody's high and everybody's drunk. I might be able to make some money up in here, right? And so so that really, to me, is... Um, is 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 one way to look at investing, right? And and also if you if you like the NFT market and you think it's worthwhile, well, maybe now is a great time to to buy if you again you let's say you spend a hundred dollars on some five dollar NFTs and and let's again let's say that these NFTs are worth five hundred dollars a few years from now. They never get back to a hundred thousand dollars, but they get they go you know fivefold. They could they go up from 10 bucks to 50 bucks or whatever. Well, that's a good ROI too. Sometimes the lowest value investment in your portfolio can be the one that makes the most money. The worst company that you invest in can literally be the one that makes the most money for you because it's all about one basic idea. Can I sell this thing for more than what I bought it for? If the answer is yes, then you win. doesn't matter if it's Apple or if it's crappy company that's almost bankrupt. Uh, if you buy Apple at 180 and Apple goes down to 170 and there's there's still a, a, a three tr- almost damn near three trillion dollar company that's making money hand over fist selling millions of iPhones. That that's always going to be true. But you lost money. Apple might have been your worst investment. OK, so so kind of keep that in mind as you make your moves. All right. So anyway, do me a favor. Hit the thumbs up button. Thumbs up, share, subscribe. Uh, my name is Dr. Boyce Watkins. You're watching the Black Financial Channel. Uh, hit that notification bell so you'll be notified when we go live. Some of you have asked, how do you do one on ones with me? Stuff like that. I do a couple one on ones a month. So if you'd like to do that uh, or or have me come speak at your venue or something like that, I do trainings um, in person and stuff like that. There's there's it costs. It's not free. But if you're interested, uh, just email Chanel at BoyceWatkins.com. That's one N and two L's, uh, Chanel, uh, C-H-A-N-E-L-L at voicewalkins.com. Uh, also, if you want to check out what my wife does, uh, you can go to coachingwithdralicia.com. She's a licensed therapist and a full professor of social work. She's the head of our Black financial therapy department in the Black Business School. Uh, and also my new book is called The Ten Commandments of Black Economic Power. So if you'd like to go take a look at the book, it's an Amazon bestseller. I'm very proud of that because we run an independent business. It's 100% Black owned and uh, our kids ship the books out of our house. So if you'd like to go take a look at that book or my other book series, Black American Money, or our financial flashcards and workbooks for kids, whatever you'd like to take a look at, whatever we can help you with, just go to boycewatkins.com. There's lots of free stuff there if you'd like to go take a look and some low-cost uh, things that can help you with your economic education for your family. We believe in educating the whole family, not just the individual, because that's how you get ahead. That's how Black folks are going to get ahead. In fact, I saw this little video. I, I put this. I always like to put uh, cute, annoying things on my Instagram page that just confuse and piss people off. Uh, so I put this. <laughs> the video up. Why am I that was so freaking loud. I didn't know that, that video was so loud. But y'all saw that? I don't know if you saw it. If you're watching on Instagram, you didn't see it. But it was this little three-year-old girl who was like riding those not rollerblades, but you know what I'm talking about? These um that that little thing where you stand on it and it's like if you if you fall too far forward you'll fall and hit your face and uh, she's like just rolling right and I said these are like going to be B one kids in the future when it comes to economics like because we're preparing our kids for the future this is what our kids are going to look like they're going when uh, where other people's kids are struggling 
our kids are going to be succeeding. Hoverboard. Thank you, Chairman of the Board. Hoverboard. Yeah. So the same way that little girl was just easily riding on the hoverboard because somebody taught her how to do that. Somebody got her ready you know, to, to do this. That's what our kids are going to look like 20, 30 years from now. Uh, when you are investing for your kids at an early age, when you are educating your kids on economics at an early age, when you're getting them ready for economic warfare at an early age, what you're doing is you're applying Sun Tzu in the art of war, in the art of war. Sun Tzu says that battles are won before they begin. So people who wait till the battle starts to start fighting, they're usually going to lose. They're going to get caught by surprise. They're going to get ambushed. Uh, people who wait until after the battle has begun and they're already getting their butt kicked to start, you know, start getting ready and start dealing with things, start reacting to things, they lose. And one of the things I believe that, that happens, uh, this is psychological, this is important, is that we are trained to be very reactive to things. We're not trained to be proactive. We're not trained to prepare. Like, so, for example, what if there was a nuclear bomb that hit hit a major city tomorrow and all public services were shut down, all restaurants, all grocery stores, all hospitals, everything else? Would black people survive? Um, the answer is no, we wouldn't be. We wouldn't be ready. We wouldn't be ready because we don't have anybody sitting around thinking about these things, thinking about preparation and security. So what we tend to do, again, I believe because we're put in this victim box, you know, at an early age, uh, we're told to sort of depend on others and, and hope that others will be gracious enough to take care of us. Well, then guess what? You're not ready. Right. So my question is, if you have that little child that's three years old, four years old, five years old, I want you to imagine in your head, practice doing this, practice imagining 30 years in the future. Imagine your four-year-old son as a 34-year-old man. Imagine your seven-year-old daughter as a 37-year-old woman. And I want you to think about that child's life. Like, think about what they're going to do on a daily basis. Think about what's going to be important to them. And I guarantee you that money's going to be important. I guarantee you that money's going to matter. And if they have a job, they're going to have a boss and all these other things and the things that maybe stress them out. Uh, if they pick their partner and they pick the wrong partner, they're going to be unhappy and miserable and stressed out and worried and scared and upset and, you know, divorced, whatever. Right. Right. So, so I want you to think about how you can prevent those things. Well, uh, one, one way to prevent is to prepare. Um, the number one statement that I give to my kids uh, on a daily basis is preparation is the key to success. Every time they mess up, I say preparation is the key to success. Every time they miss the bus, I say, well, you know, preparation is the key to success. Yeah, I know, boys. I know. And I repeat myself deliberately because I want them to understand some very basic ideas that I know will make a huge difference in their lives. Uh, in fact, um, I have a three P philosophy that I give to um, uh, to our, our youngest. And I, you know, I say, look, this will carry you through life, the three P philosophy. And if I say, what are the three P's of success? She'll say preparation, um, practice and persistence, preparation, practice and persistence. And, uh, and I actually write about it in my book, the 10 commandments of black economic power. And I said, look, think about it. Every situation you've ever run into where you either succeeded or failed, it came down to one of those three things, right? So when she doesn't succeed or something goes wrong, I say, which of the three P's did we violate today? And she'll be like, practice. I didn't practice. Right. Or which of the three P's did we violate that didn't help us get our goal? persistence. I gave up too early, right? Yeah, because most people, if you look at most millionaires and most billionaires, uh, typically people that are really successful, the number one thing that separates them from everyone else is they just don't give up. They just don't give up. You know, so so when I was telling you about failure, being your friend and embracing failure, finding some way to process it in a healthy way where you see the learning experience and you just kind of keep on going, that's persistence. And that persistence is literally every person I can think of who's really successful, who's a multimillionaire, billionaire, all this other stuff, 
those people tend to just be super persistent. If they if they fail at something, they just go back to the drawing board and they figure it out again. And then also they tend to take action, right? So the question is, are you taking action? What are you taking action on that matters for you? What are you doing right now today that's getting you closer to wherever you want to be, right? So keep that in mind uh, as you're thinking about how to be successful, right? So um, so let's get back to this NFT thing. Let me let me kind of shut this down a little bit so we can uh, move on with our day. Uh, it says that. Uh, this report was by Dap Gamby, Dap Gamble, and uh, it says that when they scanned NFTs on Coin Market Cap, they said 95% of the tokens were effectively worthless. Out of 73,257 NFT collections, 69,795 of them had a market cap of zero. By their estimates, almost 23 million people hold these worthless assets. Quote, this daunting reality should serve as a sobering check on the euphoria. See, when we talked about that, we talked about euphoria. We talked about um, irrational exuberance, right? The euphoria that has often surrounded the NFT space, the researchers said. Amid stories of digital art pieces selling for millions and overnight success stories, it's easy to overlook the fact that the market is fraught with pitfalls and potential losses. So let's pick up the key words in that statement. Um, Digital art stories, they use the word stories twice. Pay attention, they use the word stories twice. People love a good story. Human beings always love a good story, starting from the time you're five years old up until you're an adult. When they study the most successful TED Talks, they find that they spend the majority of their time telling stories. Human beings can always be captivated by a story. So what they said is amid stories, and that's what the media does, the media tells you stories of digital art pieces selling for millions. And this happens all the time. Whenever the financial markets start taking off and a lot of money gets made, it starts to become a big story in the news. The story gets big. People share these stories. And next thing you know, everybody's showing up because they're all trying to get a piece of that money. Uh, also, uh, she, they talk about overnight success stories. So there's something about... See, the thing, here's a problem. Here's a problem. One big problem with wealth. Slow money can be very dull. Slow money takes a lot of work. Slow money takes, it requires all these emotions that we don't naturally have. Like it requires patience, persistence, struggle, discomfort, right? Con commitment, right? These, these are hard things, right? These are very difficult things, right? So, so the slow money is not, it's not cool. It's not flashy, You'll never be in a rap music video rapping about slow money and how you invested consistently in your IRA or your 401k and became a millionaire. That is not going to work very good in a hip hop verse. It's just not right. And, now, you know, but but it's the fast money that gets people excited. The fast money is like, oh, wait, I can have it all and I don't have to sacrifice anything. I don't have to sacrifice time. I don't have to sacrifice, sacrifice effort. I don't have to put in any sort of any sort of work. I don't have to do anything and I'm going to have it all right. And it's very easy for people to believe that. So uh, what they said here is that there are two types of stories. Um, art pieces selling for millions, right? Where you have some ugly little picture of a monkey or something, and it's selling for like a million dollars. And everyone's like, oh, my God, that's crazy. And then you have this six overnight success stories like, wait, you mean I can quit my job tomorrow if I create an NFT and it's suddenly worth a million dollars, right? And, uh, and so these stories, they get in the news and this is going to happen again, folks. This is going to, this happens all the time. This is going to happen again. And then it's going to crash again. Then it's going to happen again. Then it's going to crash again. Then it's going to happen again. Then it's going to crash again. If you go over the last 30 years, you will find multiple examples where the market got super excited and then it crashed. Okay. So just, I need you to understand this. I, I want you to remember this. So when you come back and watch this video, when the market starts taking off and all the stories, there's that word stories. When all the stories are out there about how much money people are making, how fast they're making the money, and all sorts of stuff, I want you to go back and I want you to watch this video and be like, oh, yeah, that Dr. Boyce told me about this. And he also said that eventually it's going to crash. 
So, so, so the thing about crashes is that there is no if about crashing. There's a win. Everything crashes eventually. Well, at least in the stock market and, and NFT markets and all that stuff. So keep that in mind. Uh, last piece I'll, I'll mention is they said the NFTs are digital representations of art or collectibles tied to a blockchain, blah, blah, blah. During that time, several popular art collections such as Bored Apes and Cyberpunks were selling for millions of dollars and celebrities such as Steph Curry and Snoop Dogg participated in the hype. The boom coincided with cryptocurrency's peak when Bitcoin was trading close to $70,000 on Wednesday. Um, on Wednesday, the price of crypto just hovered, of the crypto Bitcoin, hovered just above $27,000. Now, what's interesting is that Bitcoin is one of the few uh, items in the crypto slash NFT space that didn't crash completely. $27,000 for Bitcoin is still pretty substantial. That's a massively big number compared to where Bitcoin started. I remember when Bitcoin hit 100 and people were like, oh my God, that's crazy. It can't go any higher. So uh, again... Again, again, pay attention now. Listen, I, I need you to hear this. Remember earlier I was saying that it comes down to your economic religion, right? Uh, you know, if something crashes, there are people who believe that it crashed because it was worthless all along. And then there are some people who believe it's 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 all temporary. It's going to make a comeback. Do you all know how many times Bitcoin has crashed and been written off for dead? You know, man, Bitcoin, there was a time when Bitcoin hit 100. Then it crashed. Oh, see, it was never worth 100 anyway. Who would pay $100 for this worthless coin, right? Then it goes up to 1,000. Then it crashes. Uh, well, well, of course it, of course it crashed. I mean, it was worthless all along. It shouldn't have, it shouldn't have, this is a scam to begin with, and this coin couldn't have been worth, and there's no way this stupid coin could be worth $1,000. Who would pay $1,000 for this coin, right? Well, you know what? It turns out, just happens to be in hindsight, that the people who believed in Bitcoin, who had a certain economic religion, those people are winning. If you consistently, there was a black man. I saw this video. I was super impressed. This black man, literally, there's a video of him in 2012 telling black people specifically, he said, there is this coin that you never heard about called Bitcoin. Right now, it's like 25 cents. He said, I'm going to buy a thousand of these or whatever he bought. He said, just in case. <laughs> like He said, I, I don't know if it's going to go up, but I believe it will. Um, but again, remember I told you before, there's no guarantees. Nobody knows for sure, but he literally was begging black people to buy into Bitcoin. And here's the thing. Again, if you're thinking like the Negro naysayers and you don't, and you just think, you know, everything and you think, you know, the end of the story before the story begins, then you would, you completely would have missed that opportunity. Right. But there were some people who said, ah, oh, you know what? I know someone like that. I literally know a guy who did this. He said, oh, OK, well, that seems interesting. Let me just in case it works out. Let me go ahead and park one hundred dollars over there. He bought one hundred dollars worth of Bitcoin, which at that time bought him four hundred Bitcoins, four hundred Bitcoins. Right. So so he's like, oh, one hundred dollars. I'll spend I spend one hundred dollars taking my family to the movies and to dinner. So I'll just take that hundred dollars and throw it over here and just see what happens. Does anybody know? Can anybody tell me? Uh, let's do some big, big level math real quick. What is a, what is 400 Bitcoin worth? Um, uh, what do you think? What do you think 400 Bitcoin is worth now? The hundred dollar investment. Try $10 million, $10 million. And the crazy part is that he didn't even, he'd forgotten about it. He literally just said, let me just park some money over here. Just in case this guy's right. Just in case it pops off the way he says it will. And I'll be damned if that $100 investment's not worth $10 million. But here's the thing, though. It could have gone to zero. It could have disappeared. And then there would be somebody saying, you know, there's an alternative universe. Or somebody's like, see, that's why I put my, I put my $100 into the scratch-off. So I spent my $100 on some Jordans because I know that this, this Bitcoin thing was stupid to begin with. And you did not know. Nobody knows. 
right? But what investors do is they take shots. Like basketball, they take shots. If, if you take a shot in the game and you miss the shot, anybody who's like, oh, I knew that shot wasn't going to go in. I knew it wasn't. If you're a good shooter and you hit 40% of your shots, they don't, or 50%, they don't know if your shot's going to go in or not, right? So, so be careful about listening to people who act like they just sort of knew it all along, okay? So, so in this in the same analogy, every I could give you a thousand other analogies similar to this that apply to, uh, again, I, I go back to that that touchy topic of even things like the Tulsa Real Estate Fund. I, I just simply said, you know, I don't know everything that's going on over there. I invested. And if it does die, then I'm going to lose money, too. Uh, but I, from what I'm hearing, there are people who believe that story is not yet over. And I think that that could be heard as well. Right. Uh, and then there are people again, there are people who don't know anything about finance, never built anything, never don't own a business, they never ran a fund, none of that, who are saying, no, 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 it's dead. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. You don't know that. Nobody knows how the story is going to end. So just keep that in mind uh, when it comes to investing. You don't know. And there's always risk. There's always a, a chance that w- what you put your money into is not going to work out. Just like love and dating. You know, you could you get out there and you start dating and, uh, you know, bad things can happen. Eventually, you're going to get your heart broken and you're going to get hurt. Things are going to go wrong. But uh, if you don't jump in the fire or jump in the pool, then you'll never get a chance to experience the upside either. Okay, and a lot of uh, when we uh, created our black financial therapy department in the black business school, we found that one of the leading reasons why black people miss trillions of dollars in wealth is because you tend to be uh, heavily focused on the downside. You have a big problem in your community, in our community, uh, with anxiety and depression. So financial anxiety is huge. Financial trauma is huge. So people who've been traumatized, who are very anxious, who have who deal with things like depression, they tend to be Debbie Downers. They tend to be very negative. They tend to think about the dark side of everything. They tend to talk about what can go wrong. They tend to talk about what's bad instead of talking about what's good and the possibilities. People who think about possibility tend to be people who haven't been traumatized as much, right? So, so just keep that in mind. And if you are in that category, I'm, I'm heavily traumatized, right? Uh, if you are in that category, there's ways you can get help. There's ways you can learn optimism. There's ways you can learn how to process failure in a way that isn't catastrophic, right? So these are the types of, of, of weapons, I think, that we need to apply to be able to really convert our economic thinking and get into the mindset of an investor. When Elon Musk, I'm going to share this and then, then we'll be done. When Elon Musk started SpaceX, he had $100 million in the bank. He had $100 million because he just sold, uh, I believe it was PayPal. And he had a big pile of money he was sitting on. He had a wife that didn't see his vision at all. She wasn't necessarily a risk taker, but Elon Musk has always been a risk taker. So Elon um, literally was investing his own money in SpaceX. He got to the point, and it was failing. It was not working. He could not get the financing he needed. His business was not taking off the way he needed it to. So uh, what eventually happened was uh, his $100 million uh, dropped down to $1 million. He literally spent 99 out of $100 million of his money in order to start SpaceX. His wife eventually divorced him. I mean, who wouldn't divorce somebody who takes $100 million and turns it into one, right? That's a lunatic. That's a madman. That's insane. I'm not even saying that his wife was wrong to do that. It makes perfect sense. That's crazy, right? Most of us would not do that, right? But he did that. And now he's the like, I believe the richest man on the planet or top two, top three, whatever. He's got he makes, you know, maybe ten million dollars a day or something. Right. Uh, And so. uh, So but you can't look at that situation and say you knew that was going to happen because he could have invested ninety nine million, got down to zero and went broke. Right. So that's the thing about investing that's fascinating. And this is probability and statistics. All realities can exist at the same time. 
all the, you know, when they talk about parallel universes, there are parallels, right? If, if I'm talking about a football game and uh, uh, Colorado is about to go play Oregon, I can name a thousand scenarios of how that game can play out. All those scenarios are simultaneously true until the game is played. But once the game is played, anybody who says, oh, I knew all along what was going to happen is lying. They're lying to you because there was what it's called a probability distribution of all the possibilities, all the ways it could have worked out, all the ways it could have played out, right? So don't ever listen to anybody who tells you that they, oh, I knew it all along, or, oh, I know exactly what's going to happen. They, no, no, you don't, you don't. You don't. They don't. And I guarantee you, they didn't. They, they probably haven't studied finance as long as I have. Uh, I don't know everything. But again, I had to know a lot in order to know how little I actually know. Right. So so be humble, but be brave. Uh, don't be scared of your destiny. If you believe it is your birthright to eventually be wealthy, I want you to fight for that to the day you die. Some of you are going to fail. Many of you are not going to get what you came for. But at the same time, you cannot give up that Faith in the basic idea that says that if you are committed to something and you pour yourself into something, there will be a benefit. The problem that you have is that it may not be a benefit for you. It may not be something that benefits you. It may not be something that helps you win. When Walt Disney's father kept starting businesses and was failing and having a really hard time, he had no idea that his work, his dedication was not going to benefit him. He thought it was going to come back to him when he didn't realize it was going to come to his son, who was going to create one of the greatest corporations on the planet after watching his father grind and be, be entrepreneurial and bust his butt. Martin Luther King Sr. had no idea that the seeds he was planting were going to be instilled into Martin Luther King Jr. and the vision that he had. Do you understand? So so, so remember that when you, if you feel like, look, I'm trying, I'm doing my best, I'm grinding, I'm building, I'm doing everything, nothing is working, just know the story ain't over yet. Your story might just be beginning. Do you understand? The best parts of your story might not happen until the year 2090. That might be the best part of your story. So, so just keep that in mind. This is how wealth builders think. Uh, this is how uh, this is how life works, people. You cannot just make it all about you. It ain't just all about you. It's really more about those kids. It's more about the future. It's more about people that are not even born yet. Those are the ones I'm thinking about the most when I get up every day. I ain't just thinking about me and and mine and now and this. No, I'm not. That's that's probably two percent of my whole in, the entirety of the vision. Do you understand what I'm saying? So have a damn vision. And then, and then commit to it, fight for it, die for it if you have to, and, 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 and make it happen. You got this, all right? Okay, I'm done talking. Thank you all for listening. I appreciate it. Um, my new book is called The Ten Commandments of Black Economic Power. You can get a copy um, if you go to drboycebooks.com. If you want an autograph copy, just search for the word autograph. You get autograph copies of all my books. Uh, I have other book series like Black American Money, um, or sorry, The New Black Power, Black American Money, stuff like that. We also have financial flashcards and workbooks for kids. Also, I want to remind you guys, that uh, we um, we also have the All Black National Convention happening in uh, October, October 20th in Atlanta uh, at the Marriott Marquis. If you'd like to join us at the convention, we have over 40 different thinkers and leaders and uh, we have a billionaire coming. We have all kinds of amazing people coming. Uh, so if you'd like to come to the convention, uh, just go to allblacknationalconvention.com. It's a lot of fun. 
Uh, it's also a great place to network. It's a great place to learn. Uh, we're not trying to be flashy. So um, we, we did invite a rapper or two, but we don't care about celebrities. We only care about people that are trying to succeed and build the community. Uh, but sometimes some of those people happen to be famous. Like last year, the uh, chairman of the Air Jordan brand, Larry Miller, was was hanging out with us last year as an attendee. And he also came on stage. And so, uh, so I appreciate people like him because there are people that are more mainstream that do understand where we're coming from. They understand the B1 vision. But if people can't really see it, if they can't see the greatness of our community and what we can do if we build, then that's not so much of our interest. We're really interested in the real superheroes of the community, which is people like yourself. Okay. So uh, anyway, if you'd like to join us, you can go to allblacknationalconvention.com. If you have a black owned business and you'd like to promote or, or sponsor something uh, at the convention, you can also go to allblacknationalconvention.com. All right, guys, I'm out of here. Um, uh, hit the thumbs up button, thumbs up, share, subscribe. It was wonderful talking to you. And uh, oh, one more thing. If you want to get profit alerts, uh, sometimes I send out profit alerts and I'll send you a free copy of my book. I let this morning I sent that you guys a free copy e copy of my book. It takes a village to raise the bar. And I'll also I'll send you a list of AI stocks that I like. Just text the word stock to 31996. Text stock to 31996. You can get on the list for free. All right, guys. Um, have a great day. God bless you. I'll see you soon. Take care. Peace.